Today, we're speaking with an extraordinary individual, the founder and CEO of MindBank, an artificial intelligence-based app that uh, allows you to create a digital persona or a personal digital twin, as they call it, through the process of answering prompts and then subsequent self-reflection. So, Emil, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got started in this field? It seems like a kind of a niche to get involved in. Sure. Thank you for having me on the show, Bruce. So um, I studied psychology. My mother's a psychologist, and and I've always been around in, in this area, as you as, as you can imagine. Um, growing up with someone in the house in the home that that that's their life, right? First as a guidance counselor, then and before that as a teacher. So she's always been in this world. And I, you know, I went into the psychology field because I was wondering, okay, what do I want to be when I grow up, right? <laughs> and um, when I was in my undergrad, I, I saw that under psychology with psychology, you can do a lot of things, right? You can go into business school, you can go to med school. So I, you know, I said, okay, let me study psychology. And I was always fascinated by the, by the brain, right? And the mind. Um, but as life would turn it, um, I kind of chose a different career path. I studied later on, I moved into communications industry and went into marketing, which still has a, a lot of psychological components to it. Right. As you can imagine. Um, and then, you know, the twist of fate, um, you know, when I was in 2020, when my daughter was four years old, she had a what I would call a transformational moment for me <laughs> with her on her iPad. And then, and that's really what started and spun off the, the concept of, of, of MindBank. I saw her interaction with Siri, right, where she was asking Siri, Siri a bunch of questions. And it, the first one was what really struck a chord with me the most, where she said, Siri, do you have a mommy? And then she continued asking Siri these questions. And uh, at one point she says, Siri, I love you. You're my best friend. And at that moment, I saw that, you know, she went from having a transactional relationship to having an emotional relationship. But but you started analyzing it. And in, in, in a split second, I just started thinking about what's her future going to be like when she's my right. age? And right. how can I always be part of that world, right? The world's going so fast. And, and ultimately, you start analyzing, wait, Siri is just an interface to a database. How can I become that database so that my child and my children and my children's children can always have a conversation with, with daddy, right? And all these, you know stories that that compose our lives you know you tell it in word of mouth but you don't really write it down you, you know you have a few posts here and there on social but it's those stories of like how did you meet mommy you know how did you end up in prague or you know how did you go to miami when you graduate all these things that compose your life you tell your kids and you tell your family and friends through word of mouth um, but all that data is lost right and that's kind of what makes us who we are really and i said you know we have the technology today to be able to store that data and index that data and extract value from that information. So that's where this, the, the story of MindBank came about, where it's like, okay, let me build a platform so that I can store my wisdom and so that my daughter could always have daddy, so it always have access to daddy. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, if you think about it, this data can live on forever as your digital twin so that you can have a conversation with, with, with this entity. And in the course of this journey, right, um, you know, I got this idea January 7th, it's January 17th, 2020. And for like nine months, I was just, you know, letting the idea marinate and talking to people in different industries just to get, you know, a sense of uh, how do I go about doing this? And one of the things that kept popping up was, you know, how do you make it engaging? And then at the time it was COVID time, right? So I was the only exercise I was getting was going running in the park here and there. And I started realizing, wait a second, when you run and you've got like a nightcap or Strava, you get that instant data feedback that you ran and you did this many miles and this mm -hmm. much time. And that's kind of what kept you motivated. And those incremental gains in your physiology and your physical fitness is what keeps you coming back. So I was like, wow, we can do that with the mind. 
and you know we figured out how to use these you know algorithmic models to create a dashboard of the mind for for, uh, for lack of a better word so that you can become much more data driven about your psychology your personal development and really what we want to do is move the industry from healthcare to self-care so that people are much more empowered with their mental wellness data so i think that was very insightful that you had that revelation when speaking with your daughter when she was mentioning that when she was basically talking to Siri, my son, he's 15 months old now, and his first name that he learned was Alexa. And <laughs> we mentioned Alexa, he would completely turn his head around and look right at the screen. So he started to to learn about her from a very young age. Mm. So it makes a lot of sense. And in switching to thinking about the business aspect, what is who's your target target audience right now for this application? I saw that you get involved a little bit in the B2B side as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, you know, when, when I launched uh, MindBank, I had a few assumptions, right? We weren't focused on the B2B at all. We were strictly a B2C play because um, I just saw my story, right? And I was like, okay, I can talk, I can understand me and people like me. So let me go on that on that journey. And we went out and did, uh, like I'm a marketing guy, right? So I went out and did market research. I got some feedback in terms of, in terms of the positioning and all that. And, I, and my hypothesis was 35 plus are going to be really interested and and the and, and it basically came out to being answered right which is um what i call the sweet spot is those who are young enough to have children at home like yourself right and you start remembering what it's like to be a child again right these little flashbacks of, of your childhood start coming when you have small children right it's quite mm -hmm. amazing yet at the same time we're starting to take over uh, some responsibility over our parents Right. Whatever that means, you know, so in my case, I helped them with their finances and just kind of manage stuff, you know, for them here and there, um, take them to the doctor once in a while. You know, these type of situations that you start realizing their time is limited. Right. And then you've got also start realizing that, you know, these this life is so important. That's just starting to come into this world. And we're in the middle, literally. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Um, so that's the sweet spot. The person starts getting that self you know, actualization of like, okay, I'm a father and a son at the same time, or a daughter. And um, what have I done with my life? What will I do with my life? How can I leave a legacy for my kids? You know, all these questions start appearing in your life. And that's the sweet spot, right? Because you realize that there's, uh, there's a value to your life, to your information, to your wisdom. Mm -hmm. And also to the, and to those of your, you know, of your parents, right? You also want to keep a piece of them around as well. Right. So, I mean, I saw when using the app, you get a lot of cognitive insights about your personality type. What other insights beyond that does a user hope to gain from that experience of using the app? Excellent. Yeah. So, so we started with the, some, a framework that people understand, right? Um, so the big five framework is what we're measuring now. And we just analyze all of the of big five traits. And within those, there's another eight uh, each within these traits, like neuroticism and agreeableness and all these things. I mean, the first and foremost, what we're looking for is let's do self-awareness very well. Who are you? Who am I? And where do I, how do I develop, right? And what we want to build into this are the, the insights into like not only who you are, but who are you, you know, in perspective to someone else? Or why is it that, you know, this level of anxiety is high? Or what can you do about these things, right? So getting more into those insights and and, um, and help give guide people towards self understanding right there's also other things that we want to add on to it when it comes to um you know one one feature that's coming out that's actually built right and it's in our video it's what we like to call it's more of a gamification of it where it's like you know how are you in respect to someone else in history right so you know are you similar to einstein or 
I don't know, Genghis Khan or something <laughs> or something like that, right? Um, and this this is more for engagement once again, right? And so once again, understanding who you are versus someone else and getting these personality types is the first step. Um, we also want to use the personality type as uh, part of the, when, when we develop our, let's say, um, linguistic models for, for conversational AI, to build a personality into the digital twin, right? So, you know, are you more agreeable? Are you more neurotic or <laughs> whatever the case may be, right? What was your personality? Because ultimately that's who we are, right? If, you know, mm -hmm. it's not wrong to be neurotic, it's okay, you know? How do you set the dial on that though? Uh, like a we don't, we're, we're just measuring that right now. We're not, we're just really straight data, oh, right? Gotcha. We're data capture mode. There's no massaging at, at all. It's just like, okay, because, you know, we need an aggregate score. And also what's interesting is that people are different when they speak about different topics. Right. If you're, I don't know, in different audiences. Exactly. So if you're speaking, at, for example, we've we've done the the, the research, we, we did an analysis of how people speak on podcasts versus how they write on their blogs. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a personality change. There is. It's not like night and day, but you see that there's a there's a shift. And it, and it, I guess if you think about it, it comes down to the fact that you self edit when you write. You think about what you're going to write, and you come back to it. And you know, however, when you speak, you just speak. That's your true self, right? And then I'm sure, Bruce, when you speak to your kids, you're not the same as when you speak at work. And so there is these little slight changes. But, but ultimately, you want to get an aggregate score of, okay, how does Bruce talk about work versus family versus religion versus love, right? And you'll start, and we'll start gathering these data. That's why we have it by topic as well, so that we can start gathering this type of information and, and seeing where it goes, really. You know, it's amazing how, you know, when I started this, journey in 2020 how it's developed in the last two years is crazy it's 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 yeah. it's astonishing how fast it's going um i give you an example when i first started in 2020 you know doing the desk research uh gartner's uh, hype cycle if you're familiar with it right mm -hmm. put the digital twin of the person to be a transformational technology uh within for where one to five percent of the world will have a digital twin by 2027 roughly right something about seven to ten years right mm -hmm. In a hundred and eighty-two billion dollar market by twenty thirty is what I saw. That, but that's the new number, right? So the new number now is that last month I spoke to them, and actually spoke to them, and they said that uh, the new number is now fifteen percent of the world will have a digital twin by twenty twenty four, and it went from nine billion uh, market size roughly to a hundred and eighty-two billion <laughs> by twenty thirty, and this is just in two years. And this why does society need a digital twin? What do you think the reason is? I think data hungry. You know, I think of it, think about our lives, right? Our car, our phone, our websites, like everything is so data driven, right? Except us. Think about that for a second. Except our psychology or in our, let's say, personal development, really. Other than collecting data on us, but we're not actually ever seeing the data. We're using it for our own personal development. Right. Right. Other than like your whatever your school grades at school, you know, what reference point do you have that you're saying I'm getting smarter, I'm getting better? Um, so there's that that whole space of personal data, and not for personal data for privacy reasons. Let's let's look, look, use it as a tool, right? Personal data so that I can become a better human being. What does that mean to me? Becoming a better human being. We have tons of data on our physiology, right? I'm wearing an Apple Watch. It's got my heart rate. If I want to know how much my, you know, oxygen I have, you know, I can do all that, right? Yep, exercise. Can it tell me how am I feeling emotionally right now? No, mm -hmm. right? 
But someone that talks to me can say, hey, Emil's having a bad day, right? Or when he speaks about this particular topic, it definitely, it still hurts him. You see what I mean? And that, that, that's what, that's the role of a psychologist, really, if you think about it, or a counselor or whatever. Right. But how do we make that so that it be, can become, let's say, decentralized from this, this professional and self-empowered as well, right? Just like we have fitness apps that help us, you know, go run and work out. We also have trainers, right, that help us on that journey. And I think that's the role of MindBank, where it's that tool that you can self-care and at the same time provide your professional a lot of more data around your psychology that they can, you know, listen into, understand. And, and quite interesting, Bruce, when we first launched back in, in March, April this year, I asked a few psychologists that I knew, I was like, hey, you know, give it a spin. You know, like, like you know, they, they, they tried it out. They're like, yeah, you know, I was like, I said, listen, I think it's a good way to give homework to your patients. You know, because you see a psychologist once a week, once a month, or whatever the case may be. What about all those other days that they're just still trying to deal with the issue, right? Um, but what MindBank, you know, I guess what you realize is that you're able to talk to yourself about the issue, document it, reflect on the data, right? And how you interpret the data is up to you, right? If you see the neuroticism is off the charts, like that's that's your you start asking yourself why like what's going on you know and then you start looking at the words that you're using to describe that emotion and it's in the words right like the way what we say says a lot about who we are and that's the whole psycholinguistic genre right the whole the whole industry right right and give us a little insight into that because where do how do we how do we decipher neuroticism from somebody's tone of voice is it the cadence is it the pitch is it the variability of the pitch. I mean, how do you, let's get into the weeds a little bit about where you start when you have a blank canvas. How, how did you actually build the, or maybe it's proprietary, but. It's definitely, I won't dive too deep into the, 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 the say the, the models and stuff, but let's put it this way. There's um, tons of research out there and, and, and around psycholinguistics, right? And uses of pronouns. We, what's being measured are the actual words, the cadence and that stuff. We're storing the voice file in order to get to that level too, right? What we can do right now is measure the speech to text, right? So we take this voice file, convert it to text, and that text gets analyzed for those properties, right? And that's what that's what's being analyzed. The cadence and the pauses in the voice and all of that has a lot of value too. Uh, we're just not there as a company yet to start analyzing that um, deep enough, uh, which is why we're raising this funding round and to, to build out a team that can specialize in that space as well. Because voice says a lot about your emotional state, mm -hmm. right? The quivers, the, the, the pauses, just a yeah. pause, right? You know, um, and we, we have it on the voice file, but we don't have it on the data yet, right? On the, on the, on the analysis. Uh, but really what, what it comes down to, we measure the actual words and create, and it creates, the models create the dashboard. I think that would be really huge because I remember on some video I was watching there, you know, say you have a simple sentence, like, did you take the grocery, did you take the trash out today? And if you put the emphasis on any one of those words, it's going to change the meaning of it. Did you take the trash out today? Exactly. Did you pick up the trash today? <laughs> you know, it, it has a totally different meaning depending on where our intonation is. And so if you just do speech to, to text, I feel like you are missing an element there, but so you probably graded the words and based on the emotional charge to them after, and then kind of get a, a exactly. metric based on on that number yeah yeah and all things like using the words you know being more 
I focused, I did this and I did that versus we or he, or, you know, then you start seeing where are the pronouns and you know, where is the subject and, and how is that in relation to the topic? So, so these are the things, and obviously there's aggressive words and I hate it, you know, all these things come out. Right. So that's a measurement as well. Um, so yeah, but, and, I sh and I'm sure like once we start analyzing the voice file, it's, it'll just even become much more richer in that, in that context for sure. Yeah, that's, that's so true. You have a, sounds like a, like a huge trajectory in front of you. What is your, your greatest fear perhaps in terms of how maybe it would be misused or maybe people misinterpret the company or the, the intentions of the company? What do you feel like the, the purpose is appropriately communicated to the to our society and to the mass audience who might be well, using it well we definitely have a a long-term job to do you know in, in that sense because we have to educate the market you know the topic of the digital twin personal digital twin is a very new topic it's you know i always say tell people it's kind of like about if i like 15 years ago i was talking to you about cloud computing You'd be like, well, we're putting my data up in the cloud. Are you crazy? You know, mm -hmm. that's exactly what's happening now. And those are the conversations we have. And, and it's interesting. So the biggest to say fear is data privacy, right? And because the data we ask is quite private, right? It's very personal stuff. Um, and I think that's a limiting factor too, by how much people are going to open up to this app. Yeah, exactly. But what, what we do see too, is that those who do open up and, and, and have a need, right, to open up, they, they're power users, right? They really dive in and and feel comfortable with it because and ultimately you're you know you've built a trust to the company um and to some extent built a trust to me because you know my intention is has always been for my daughter right so like there's no money in the world that's gonna like take over that and my it's not you know I, I come from a world of marketing too so i know how it can be used misused in that space so i'll give an example one of the things on our on our uh, governance is that i have 100 voting shares Although we sell shares to the company, when it comes to the business and the vision and the ethics, you know, buck stops here, right? And um, and you need that kind of governance, especially at this stage, because you could easily say, oh yeah, we're gonna sell the data to make some money. And no, no, that's not my intention. Two, the whole business model is not advertising based, right? Our business model is subscription. And what we really wanna do is decentralize this very soon so that you can become part of the marketplace. So if an opportunity does come that someone wants Bruce's data, I would just say, hey, Bruce, this company, A, wants your data. Would you be willing to pay or sell it to them? Mm -hmm. And now that's your transaction with them, mm -hmm. right? We facilitate. A totally that. different mindset. I Completely feel. different. Yeah. And that's your business, right? That's your data. That's your, we just facilitate that transaction. And that's where we are going with our Web3 migration. So right now we're in the first, say, we took the first baby step <laughs> um, into that. So we, we actually have a grant from a, the, the, the Definity Foundation that gave us a, a small grant to start that process. So we've we started that process, right? Because that's our short-term goal. It's not even a long-term. I mean, this is like end of next year is the is, is our target to be completely decentralized. Wow, that's that's pretty fast. I, you know, on that topic of privacy, I, I posed this to a previous guest that I had. I'm a physician and when I, when I obtain informed consent, we have this standard that we have to meet where we, can assess whether the person understands what they're agreeing to. A medication or procedure or what have you, they need to understand the risk benefit of doing the procedure versus not doing it. They need to, and I need to document that that understanding is there and they have competence to understand this issue that they have. But in privacy policies, and I'm guilty of this too, I I'll just agree to a privacy policy that I didn't even read. You know, they're 15 pages. I want to start using the service. I'm not going to read through every line. How do we 
how do we improve this informed consent of our data privacy? I feel like it's just an area that we need to improve upon as a whole to start to rebuild that that trust among the tech giants and and consumers. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, and and you know, and it comes down to liability really. When it, when you you see these fifteen pages, is because of liability issues, right? Yes. And I think once that becomes decentralized, so like literally the the prototype that we have, the data is yours. It's not like you know the trans. Let's say that transaction that was mentioned before. It's like Bruce, so a company X wants your data from January first to February first, or whatever whatever the date range. So we would make it as simple as possible, right, to be understood. Um, and then the risks would would be obviously hopefully outlined as well, and and, and it shouldn't be fifteen pages long. You know, if it's fifteen pages long, it's too complicated. It, it it seems way too complicated. It should just be this is what you're giving, and this is what you're getting. It's a transaction, right? Um, but it's you know it, we're we're in the you know in the primordial soup of this of <laughs> of this space right now when it comes to this. But fundamentally, right? Fundamentally, it comes down to ownership. Right? Who owns the data? Keep in mind, you use TikTok, you use Facebook, you use all those apps. You know, the owners of the data are those companies, right? Um, and that's the shift that's happening where we need to respect, you know, the ownership of the data is not mine banks or shouldn't be mine banks, should be Bruce's. I call it, we're the guardians of that data, right? That's kind of even on our mission statement, vision statement is like, we want to be the world's most trusted guardians, mm-hmm. not owners, right? Guardians. There's a very big difference between the two. It's about protection and and and, and um, guidance, right? Not ownership, right? And but that's you know that's a it's, the whole industry is just, it's it's moving in that direction because it has to. People are wanting it. And lastly, the technology technological infrastructure is at a place that it can be there, right? Remember before, you know the whole this whole blockchain and Web three didn't even exist for us to even get to this stage. And even today, it's still too early for us to do a complete migration, right? The infrastructure is not there. We're literally building these things out, you know, mm-hmm. in order to get to this space because it's so new and and it's and hopefully we do it in a way that it doesn't break a year from now, you know. And so you got to kind of like literally the way we see it is a bit like this, right? We're here, we're transitioning into something like that, right? And there's going to be a bit of an overlap, mm-hmm. and then eventually it'll just be. It'll just be that Web three decentralized journey. You know, it's a it's it's a transition. It's not an evolution, right? What has been your the biggest surprise to you, either from a business aspect, a technical aspect? I'm sure there's been a lot, but the what is the most interesting surprise that you've had on this journey, where you've had to pivot, perhaps, or you've encountered some sort of challenge, and you need to come up with a solution you weren't expecting? Yeah, I, I guess there's a few. The first one is the uptake in B two B interest. Was the first one. Right. And that's kind of back to the conversation. I started as a B2C company, but then, you know, all these B2B conversations started happening and, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. So that's an interesting, you know, and we have uh, at least, at least 10 to 15 companies on pilots, you know, pretty soon we're going from two languages to 20 by the end of I mean, like about a week and a half. Wow. Right. So, so global interest, so. Oh, very global interest. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, um, and it comes also from my background, right? I'm based in, I've lived in Prague, Czech Republic for the last 17 years in Europe. And obviously when you live in Europe, you know, Germany's three hours, Austria, you know, Poland is next door and you, you have this multilingualism already. Um, and also when you do these businesses in Germany or rather business in Europe, you have to have at least five, six languages in your product. Because everything is, you know, fractured in that sense. Whereas in the U.S., it's one language, maybe two with Spanish, right? And then you're done, you know? 
Um, but the rest of the world is not like that, right? You need to really to internationalize. You need to do a multilingualism. And, and, and also from my backstory, I speak six languages myself. Wow. I understand. I've always said it, that language is a window into their culture. Right. And back to this whole psycholinguistics, psycholinguistics, yeah. it's a fascinating field because you start when you when you speak a lot of languages. Right. And, and you in my case, I was born bilingual practically. Right. Um, you understand that the way one culture thinks and the way that another culture thinks, you know, and then you like I learned Czech. Right. Which is a very different language structure and everything else. Slavic based. And then when I learned, as I was learning Czech, I was like the psychologist in me was like, oh, my God, I get it. Why they're the way they are, you know. <laughs> You know, like it's like it's in the language, you know, the way it's the way it's structured says so much about the cultural heritage and and the way people act and the way they think. And I don't want to say group thinking, but culture is there is a group think into a culture, right? That's what makes it a culture. Yes. Uh, shared history, shared background, shared language. So um, I think it's very important that MindBank is multilingual also because I don't want it to be another technological divide. Right. This technology has an impact, has a, a potential to impact humanity tremendously and you know we always look at the world from anglo-saxon eyes almost mm -hmm. right um whereas you know someone's western perspective yeah western perspective and stuff um <clears throat> um when you start looking at languages and, and culture it's important to, to be accessible in french spanish portuguese portuguese from portugal portuguese from brazil right yeah. all these little nuances arabic and you've got egyptian arabic and you've got you know saudi you know all these different languages um, so we'd want to be as global as possible. And once again, like I mentioned, the market's going to blow up. If 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 we want to capture 15% of the market by 2024, we have to go into multi multilingualism today. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. That's kind of just made my my mind race and all the potential follow-up questions that I, I have, but we don't have time for. It's a very interesting topic. I feel like there could be a whole podcast episode about how... The, the cultural variations of of communication and oh, how it impacts AI and and psycholinguistics yeah. analysis. And and we're getting into that field, right? We're gonna hopefully Bruce in about a year or two. I'll come back with some data and say, hey Bruce, this yeah. is what we found out in the last year. Um, let's see. But I know from my personal story that there's a lot of difference. There for sure. There's there's an impact there. So what makes you most excited about the field of mental health in this AI space? What really helps, what really gets me excited, this whole concept that we have of moving the industry from healthcare to self-care. Really, what I mean by that is like empowering people to be much more self-aware, right? And if you look at our history as humans, we've, you know, we have religion and we had all these different structures of society to help us in our journey, right? To develop as a child, to develop as a young man, to develop as a an adult. And we have these rituals. But once we in the modern world all these things started coming off and being replaced by you know pop culture and these other things right so i think the technology has a chance now to or at least mind bank has a chance now to let help us go back to that self-awareness right if you think of prayer if you think of these rituals of, of you know becoming you know like cultures have the walkabout all of these are ritualistic behavior that help us in our development and I think MindBank has a way of, you know, in, in a micro way of helping people be much more self-aware and hopefully, you know, help you learn about yourself so that you can, you know, enhance your humanity. I like to call it AI enhanced humanity. How can we embrace AI to become a better human being? I like that. So thank you very much for joining me today and speaking with me, Emil. It was a pleasure. I think we're going to have to follow along on your journey of this interesting self and holistic discovery that you have going on here. I think you're a 
a thought leader in this field, and you're going to be paving the way for the other individuals and companies in this space in the future. Thank you for having me. It was, it was great, Bruce. It's good fun. <laughs>